Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Good morning. Good morning to those on live stream. If you're joining us, we're really happy you're here. I am here to confirm that I actually did get married with my ring. So. We just want to say, uh, again, to kind of reiterate what Greta said, it's, it's this weird thing where people know us and we're on stage every now and then, and um, just the encouragement that we get that many people don't uh, by this large of group, we just want to say thank you, and um, for those of you who've been encouraging us, supporting us, and praying for us, it's, it's really a sweet season, and I think what I've cherished most is, is you guys in, in that process. Um, so we just want to thank you for that. Uh, one thing, uh, as you know, we're going through our sermon series in Matthew, Unexpected King. We have these Bible study guides that are offered either by our receptionists or you could order those on Amazon. You can get a free version online as well um, through a PDF document. I uh, would love for you to grab those and, and purchase those so you can go along with us with these questions. It's me and two others, uh, Sarah, Morrow, and Carrie Wood, who spent a lot of time creating this. I feel like I'm like shamelessly like selling my CD mixtape kind of thing, but it's a, it's a good resource for you guys. Well, hey, wh- uh, and my name is Efren Perdomo, by the way. I always forget to say my name. Um, why not for a minute, just close your eyes with me. And yes, I'm actually asking you to close your eyes. And why don't you try to recount the last time you had a satisfactory rest or just peaceful sleep. You can, image any, you can have any image in your mind right now. Some of you are by the beach and enjoying the sand, while others of you might be on a mountain range experiencing the scenery. Or some of you might be just thinking about your bedroom. Now imagine for a bit, you don't have any bills to pay, no stress, and a strong bladder. Okay, slowly start to open your eyes. As you'll see on this screen, you'll see pictures of toddlers sleeping. You may find the one in the middle a little bit funnier than the rest. I find these images quite hilarious, but I'm also somewhat envious of it. To sleep like that, man, that's what it looks like to sleep when you don't have bills, stressful job, or stressful relationships. You know, as you get into adulthood, it becomes quite harder, to, or it, it is a lot harder to find good and restful sleep. We all want to sleep this way. It's beautiful, ignorant bliss. You know, they think they can just take away nap time and think there won't be any consequences for us as adults. Sleep, as we all know it, is so important for our health. It's like the addendum to every process of recovery. Are you sick? Do you have a heart condition? Do you have a physical injury? Gaining weight? Are you feeling anxious? Every doctor at some point will recommend that you get good rest and sleep. 
And I don't think it's far-fetched to say this, but if you have healthy habits of rest and sleep, it can actually add years to your life. As an example, think of our friends, the Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, Did you know that on average, these individuals live 10 years longer than the average American? It's quite a number. And why do you think that is? Well, one of the primary reasons is their strict observance of Sabbath. For those of you who don't know, Sabbath is the one day dedicated to cease from all work to rest and to worship God. And uh, doing the math, if you were to do the math, if you Sabbath every seven days, it adds up to you regaining 10 years. Now, many of you in this room may hear that with suspicion. Sabbath? Really? Some of you uh, have read the books, you've tried the practice, and it slowly has faded. Or some of you are continuing the practice of Sabbath, but it has yet to bear its fruit. And here's the reality for all of us in this room. Our culture is all about hustle and busyness and is slowly, slowly going faster. And we are slowly moving towards spiritual and physical exhaustion. Our inability to have rhythms of rest is actually shortening our years and also the quality of life. And many of us know that empty traditions or rules cannot be the way forward. So then, how do we live or walk in the discipline and dance of rest? And most importantly, where do we ultimately find rest? Continuing our, our sermon series, Unexpected King, Narratives from Matthew's Gospel, we focus this morning on two Sabbath controversies where Jesus confronts the Pharisees head on. These stories elaborate on Jesus' invitation to rest, which you can see in the previous chapter in 11. It's the famous verse, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And in this passage, it also shows us how Jesus himself embodies the promises of ultimate rest. And in in so doing, Jesus reframes the practice of Sabbath altogether for the crowds and us as readers. So if you would, would you turn to Matthew 12, and we'll start in verse 1. It actually won't be on the screen for you. It's just too much of a text. So if you could actually get your hard copy or your phone and turn there with me. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. And it reads, At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. 
And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priest on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew that the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of Man is Lord even over Sabbath. Verse 9. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, Does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, If you had a sheep that fell into the well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So he ha- the man held out his hand, and it was restored, just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Our two stories give us a lot to reflect on, but I believe Jesus, as the unexpected king, offers us rest in unexpected ways. Together we'll see how Jesus reframes Sabbath's invitation, its source, and its vision. Its invitation, its source, and its vision to experience ultimate rest and wholeness. So let's begin. Sabbath's invitation to step in rhythms of relationship, not regulations. To step in rhythms of relationships, not a relationship, not regulations. As we see in the text, we are immediately introduced to the tension between the two parties, the Pharisees and the disciples. The Pharisees' accusations against the disciples is whether or not plucking grain actually is permitted on the Sabbath. Shouldn't this be considered a form of work? The Pharisees disregard what Matthew notes is the disciples' hunger, their need at that moment. And it's interesting to note that the Pharisees' accusation was actually something debated even among their group. Their efforts to obey the law entirely allowed them to draw offense and to add more to what the law of God was saying. And so it led them to spend hours discussing how to meticulously define what work actually meant in that time for Sabbath, leading some of them to conclude that the action of reaping grain was work, thus prohibited. This is what I would call a paradigm of regulation and rules. So then, what is Jesus' response it's quite brilliant if you don't if you if you see Jesus replies with three swift parries all taken from the breath of scripture one from the historical books with David and his men another from the law with the priestly establishment and then lastly one from a prophet um, and his saying and in this in this he is forcing the Pharisees to return back to their bibles and sort of causing a little bit of a cognitive dissonance to his listeners. You know, each example subtly suggests 
a new paradigm. Examples of exceptions to the law birth out of God's love and mercy. You see, David's story, it allows him and his men to eat the showbread when they were hungry in the temple, even though it was per, uh, forbidden. In the law, it's the structure and system of a priestly uh, priests working on the Sabbath so, that they could, so others could offer worship to God on that day. And then lastly, the scripture that ties it all together in Hosea 6.6 mentioned here. I want mercy, not sacrifices. Suggesting a core reality of why laws are given. One final note on this last reference in Hosea 6.6. You see, in Matthew's gospel, this is written in Greek originally. And so the reference actually hinges on the word mercy. In Greek, it's elios. Yet if you were to turn your Bibles back to your Old Testament and read that same verse, you may notice that the same word is not translated as mercy. It's translated as either some form of love, loyalty, or faithfulness. Coming from the Hebrew word hesed. You see, the, the shift in words clarifies what Jesus is saying here and his point. And listen to me on this. Structure and order devoid of our affections ceases to be what God wants. Say it another way. Rules and regulations devoid of our affection ceases to be what God wants in the first place. Instead, obedience fostered in the rhythm of love is what God wants. You see, what, what God is saying here is, I don't simply want regulations. I want you. I don't just want religion. I want relationship. Now, I'm sure many of us are accustomed to the ever-learning process of finding our rhythm in relationships, especially with our spouse. As a newlywed, uh, this is something Greta and I are frequently trying to discern for each other. My wife, uh, that sounds so cool to me, for me to say that now. <laughs> My wife is so incredibly thoughtful, and I love her for it. Um, and it's not that I am unthoughtful, but it's a lot for me to rework my brain to buy gifts, buy her flowers, and to go on dinner dates spontaneously, right? Some of you might agree. Um, you kind of have to tell me what you want in order for me to do it. I'm very type A that way. And for the seasoned couples, I know you're just chuckling at me because you just know the journey I'm about to go on. But really, she's always 10 steps ahead of me, and I love her for it, and thoughtful gifts and lovely notes. But in some ways, it's not very fun for me because it makes me look bad. <laughs> you know, our thing right now is learning, is me trying to get in the rhythm of learning to buy flowers without her asking. In my mind, it's just, hey, tell me you want them, I'll go get them. But otherwise, it's gonna be out of my mind. But I eagerly want to learn this rhythm. Because the secret is, she's not asking for flowers, is she? What does she want? What she wants is my affection. 
Greta simply doesn't want my obedience. What she wants is my heart. And God wants more than your obedience to his regulations. He wants those, what those regulations meant to foster, loving relationship, a loving rhythm. So if Sabbath is a channel of loving relationship, how does this affect your practice of it? Next, Sabbath source to find rest in the person of Jesus, not the temple. Probably the most, uh, spark, the most the controversial statement that Jesus says is that something greater than the temple is here. The implication for us as listeners and readers is that Jesus is that something greater. And it's hard to overestimate how much value was in the temple for these individuals. You see, the temple was more than a place of worship. It was a symbol of nationhood, of priestly establishment, In many ways, it's the nearest thing Israel had to a government. In other words, these are symbols. This is a symbol of identity, security, and future hope. And Jesus trumps this establishment. And he drives this point further when he says, For the Son of Man is Lord over Sabbath. What does that mean? You see, when Jesus says this, he means that he himself is Sabbath. The full source of rest, peace, wholeness, and flourishing. Rest isn't a rule. It's a person, which changes completely how we think about rest. Uh, One scholar, notable scholar, Richard Hayes, says this about this passage. What could be greater than the temple other than to whom it is dedicated? The one who is worshipped in it. Matthew's argument is this. If Jesus is God with us, then his presence sanctifies the labors of those who work to serve him, even on the Sabbath. I'll say that last part one, one more time then his presence sanctifies the labors of those who serve him, even on the Sabbath. And that the temptation for us all is to find rest in things outside of Jesus himself. This does not escape anyone. We all have our temple. For some of you in this room, it's wealth. For others, it's status, productivity even, It's when I've amassed X amount of money, or it's when I become fill in the blank, or it's when the government or culture looks like this. And for me, temple is always equated to knowledge about God, but not God himself. It's not until I know this, or I've read this amount of chapters, or know more than anyone around me, It's ironic that in my pursuit to know more about God, I end up missing him completely. You see, Jesus' invitation is to encounter him intimately in the Sabbath. And here's the lie we're often told, is that we live on scarcity. 
thus making us more inclined to, to think that rest only comes in our labors or in something greater than us outside of God. Yet, in the fullness of Jesus Christ, Sabbath serves as a channel to receive the, the rest in abundance. So then, what have you allowed? What, have you, what is the place or thing you've allowed to give you counterfeit rest? What is the place or thing you've allowed to give you counterfeit rest? Lastly, Sabbath's vision to experience God's healing work for our future work. For a second, be a Bible nerd with me. And I know you're like, what were we doing before? You've been a nerd all, all along. The Gospels make a very explicit point that is often missed. A lot of Jesus' healings happen on the Sabbath. I don't know if you've caught that. Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, a man born blind, a crippled woman, a man with dropsy. He even drives out an evil spirit in Capernaum. He heals a lame man by the pool. And very lastly, he heals this man's withered hand. So you got to ask yourself, why does Jesus not wait until the next day to avoid the criticism? You see, scholars are in consensus that Jesus hates Mondays just as much as we do. <laughs> I'm kidding. I believe both Jesus and the gospel writers are up to something. And they're making a point intentional. Which you need to hear me on this. Because this is very important. And if you don't get anything, you want to get this. Sabbath is about healing. Sabbath is about healing. It is a day meant for deep rest that results in wholeness and healing. Now think about this specific healing. Think of the significance of healing this guy's hand. For some Jews, a paralysis of the limbs was an indication of demonic oppression. For a Greco-Roman medical world, it was believed that a dried up limb was to be considered lifeless or dead. Now imagine yourself in an ancient context how much employment is there for a man who can't work with his hands? Probably none. Thus leaving this man to probably live on the streets and beg for his provision. And the Pharisees, functioning off a paradigm of regulation, questioned Jesus' action to actually heal. Yet Jesus, in the rhythm of relationship, one, responds with a very practical argument, which I like that. And then another, a miracle. Stretched out hand, healed. A hand now ready to work those six other days. Very significant. You see, the vision for Sabbath is our healing for future work. So how do you believe God wants to heal you for future work? How do you believe God wants to heal you for future work? My guess is my, your heart may be stirring to find this eternal rest that comes only in the person of Jesus. 
Yet we often lack clear direction. And here's the hard part. Jesus isn't with us in bodily form. So even if I need to reach him and have to reach him, not only that, what do I do with him on that day? It's sort of the beauty and the difficulty of a practice like Sabbath. You see, it's not a rule to master. It's not a regulation to follow. It's a rhythm. I would snap, but I'm terrible with rhythm, so that illustration would go out the window. So here's my charge for you, church. One, commit yourself to Sabbath, yes. But not as a channel or something to master or something to do, but as a person to be encountered. And with the expectation that actually God is just waiting for you to heal you in some manner. Could be physical, but maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's spiritually And as I've kind of wrestled with this practice of Sabbath, there's two questions that I've kind of nailed down for me to prepare my heart to encounter this day and to receive Jesus in this this day. And it goes something like this. My first question is always, in preparation for a Sabbath, I want to ask myself, if Jesus was a guest in your home for the next 24 hours, how would you host his visit? Secondly, If Jesus is the person you love most, what are the vulnerable things you'd want to release, share, and receive from him during his stay? These are questions that are not simply saying how to do something, but a question of honesty and authenticity to open one's heart and to build in a disposition to receive the wholeness and rest that God offers. You see, in the brilliant ordering of narratives, Matthew wants us to see and believe that ultimate rest is in the constant rhythm of relationship, which finds its source in the person of Jesus, who wants to offer you wholeness and healing. There's a movie known as Chariots of Fire, which is based on a true story of two Olympians leading to a Paris competition of 1924. Uh, Their names are Eric Liddell and Harold Abrams. At one level, the story centers on Liddell, who is a Christian who refuses to run on the Sabbath day. As a result, this cost him the chance for a gold medal in the race, which most believe he would win. The movie continues to compare Liddell and Abrams throughout the film, one driven to prove himself while the other driven to please God. And at one point in the movie, Harold Abrams says this really um, memorable statement uh, about the race. I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. Liddell, on the other hand, wanted to please God who already accepted him. And one of the more iconic phrases is what Liddell utters to his sister. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. The contrast is piercing. Abrams was was weary even when he rested, while Liddell rested even when he was exerting all of himself. Why? Why? Because there's a work underneath our work 
that we really need rest from. A work that only the ultimate rest, Jesus the person, can fill. And as the great Saint Augustine once said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So I'm going to ask, invite the worship team to come up, and here's what we're going to do. You're going to stand up with me, and we're going to do this practice together, which is palms down, palms up. Um, you may be familiar with that. Rob has done that a couple of times up here. And the whole idea is that we want to release things to God in order to receive what he has to offer us. And so I want you to close your eyes and allow me to pray with this for you. Now, some of you may be in your Sabbath day today. Some of you may have a future day. And so what I want you to do is have your palms down. And you might have a fist. That's okay. And what I'm going to pray for Lord, would we surrender counterfeit rest? Would we release anything that we think can provide only what you can, whether it's a job, a wealth, security, other people, institutions? God, we release that to you and surrender that. And then we turn our palms up and we pause here for a second. Because remember, we're not talking to the air. We're talking to a person. A person who loves you and wants to give you good gifts. And so in this moment, Lord, we receive your eternal rest that only comes to you, from you. And in that, we expect the offer of healing. And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit SalemAlliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.